Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Would you stand as we sing this morning? The fire of God is not something to fear, but He's burning away the things in our lives that would keep us from knowing Him. So let's lift our voices this morning as we ask Him to do what He wants to in this place today.
seats. So great to see you here this morning. Welcome to Peckway Church. My name is Scott. I'm the worship pastor here, and it's always such a privilege and an honor to sing with you, to worship, and to uh, and to praise our God together. Thank you for coming out this morning on this kind of damp day, but uh, you know we have liquid sunshine, and that's okay. We're going to thank the Lord for the rain and the sunshine, whatever He brings us. We're so glad that you're here. Inside of your bulletin is a great connection card. I'm going to invite everyone here to go ahead and take that card out. You can fill it out as I'm talking to you. Online, you're going to find a connect link in the chat window. That's just our digital connection card. It does the same thing. You can fill that card out. um, And on the back of the card are some things that you can take a look at about the ministries we have here at Peckway Church. There's a place to write your prayer request, any kind of thing that you might want to ask. We would be happy to provide those answers for you if we can. We want to put resources uh, in your hands as well to help you in your journey with Jesus or to see if this uh, if Peckway Church is a fit for you and your family. Also, if you're a first-time guest, you can simply just take out your mobile phone and you can text the word uh, hello to 717-872-5679. And as I usually tell you every week if, you are, if you're here, um, but that simply opens that line of communication for us. We can actually text back and forth. You can do those same things. You can quickly ask a question, uh, see what kind of events are going on. You can We can put resources in your hands through that as well. But thank you again so much for being here today and worshiping with us. And uh, we are so excited to kick off our brand new sermon series that we're going to be doing uh, where we're going to be talking about community and what it looks like as the church to be a community. You know, as a kid, um, we often watched reruns of older shows. And one of those shows was The Lone Ranger. Now, we loved The Lone Ranger. and uh, But, you know, it's, it's funny as you get older and you think about that, like, how could one guy and his sidekick actually, you know, take care of everything and always be the hero. And the truth is, is we can't do things alone, right? We can't really uh, conquer all the things that are, that we come against. It's always better to have our family with us, our community. And as a community of believers, we can do that as well. So let's take a quick look at this video. People, they're everywhere. And whether or not people are your thing, God put us together for a reason, and He talks about it all throughout His Word. From the very beginning, He said it's not good for man to be alone, and He started the first family. We need each other because just like iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another, and we could all use a little sharpening. Together, we can carry each other's burdens when times get tough. We receive encouragement. We build one another up. And sometimes, we just need someone to be there and to listen. We can't do everything on our own, but maybe that's the point. In the body of Christ, you're part of a community, a group of people who all struggle but are devoted to one another in love, meeting together, serving each other, learning that everyone has their flaws, and reaching our cities with a message of grace. So today, we want to help you find your people and get you connected with the group. Because after all, we're designed by God to be better together. And that's what we're going to hear about today in the message as we start and, and do this kickoff, this pre-kickoff to our series. And, um, and we're going to talk about 
how we are better together, that when we're together and the things that we do together make us stronger and help us to, to overcome those things. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad you're here as we kick that off together today. So have your message notes ready. Um, they're available online as well. And so we'll do that in a little while here. But we have a new song we want to sing for you today that we want to introduce. And you may know it. I'm going to have you go ahead and stand with us. But when we know Jesus, we can shout it from the mountaintops. We can tell other people. And we've been talking about our story. We've been talking about uh, sharing that. So sing it with us if you know it.
to celebrate today, amen, that we are children of God, we're called by his name, and that no matter what, we can sing a song of praise to him, whether we're in the valley or we're on that mountaintop today. So let's raise a hallelujah.
start this 40 days of community as we talk about how we are better together, that that will revive our hearts, that we will catch fire, so to speak, as we come together and see what God has for us. So that's my prayer as we sing this song this morning, that God would bring revival to us, to our community, and to our world. Bye. 
Father, that's my heart's cry today for us, is that we would desire to know you, Father, that you, your presence, God, your holy presence, that all-consuming fire that we began the service with today that we talked about, that you would burn away those things in our lives that are temporary, that are not a firm foundation, God. You tell us that we can build our lives on sand or we can build our lives on a firm foundation. And that foundation is you, Jesus. I thank you for those who are in this room today, those who are in homes, cars, wherever they might be in, in the world today. If they're listening online, God, I thank you for this holy moment, this appointment that we've had with you, God, that you knew in advance and you knew we'd be here today as we talk about how we are better together today. And so, Lord, open our hearts, our minds, our ears as we hear your word, and we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team, for reminding us, reminding me why we're here, why we're doing this 40-day campaign, because we truly want to see God bring revival in our lives, in our community, certainly in our country, in our world. And as Scott's been saying, and I want to clarify right up front that some of you I know are trying to sort this out, and I've tried my best this week to sort it out, and I just know it's still unclear for some of us. So let me just say to you that today is a sneak peek to 40 days of community. It's not the kickoff. This is kind of like when you went to the grocery store and they give you a free sample, you know, that little square of pizza to try to get you to buy the whole thing. Well, that's what we're trying to do today. I'm trying to share with you where we're going, why we're going there, why it's important, and then off, honestly to offer you, to encourage you, maybe even to implore you to join us on the journey. So with that said, with that clear, that's the reason you don't see in your outline week number one, because next week is week number one. Today is a chance for you to get your bearings, to get a sense of where we're going, and hopefully have in your heart not only the desire to be a part, but I would say you the desire to invite someone else along on the journey. Because I really do believe, even as Scott shared, and my heart's the same as his, and I know yours is too, we want to see God bring revival. We need that in this country today. We need this in the world today. And so let me just kind of go back to where we were last week. If you were with us the last six weeks, then we were on a journey. We were in a series called A Life Well Lived. And in that series, I tried to the best of my ability to help us look at some essential important truths. Things like the fact that God uniquely created us and called us in order to help us and let us, in fact, be a part of his redemptive mission in the world. And to help us accomplish that, to enable us to do that, God, I said through that series, is actually giving you and giving me this unique set of spiritual gifts and abilities and talents and personality traits and even experience in life, all to equip us to get us ready to serve in that mission. But if you remember, I also said in that series that it's impossible, given the size of the mission, it's absolutely impossible for you and I to do it on our own. It's what Scott's been saying. We absolutely must do this in community. More specifically, we must do it as followers of Jesus 
within the community of God's family, that is the local church. And so really what I want us to understand is the last series we looked at, we were really trying to answer the question, what on earth am I here for? In other words, we were looking at our personal life mission. Today, as, as we really look at the 40 days beginning next week, we're going to try to answer the question, why on earth or what on earth are we here for corporately? Not individually, but corporately, because again, the mission God has for us is too big for us to do alone. We have to do it together. We have to do it in relationship. We have to do it as the body of Christ. And so over these next 40 days, as the title of this message suggests, we are going to look at how we're better together. And to really do that, let me just share with you kind of the, the method of the madness, how we're going to go about this. We really are three pieces to the puzzle. And the first piece is this, on Sunday morning, we are going to look at what it means and what it looks like for you and I to live as the family of God. We're going to open God's Word and we're going to see what God has to say about how you and I are to live if we truly are the family of God, the body of Christ. And then during the week, it might be on a Sunday afternoon, it might be right after this in the Sunday school class, but somewhere during the week, you're going to be in a small group, or I hope you're going to be in a small group, and in that small group, we are going to turn together collectively as a church, we're going to turn to the ultimate love chapter. You know what I'm talking about, 1 Corinthians 13. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we are going to learn what it looks like to truly love one another and to truly love our community because it's not an either or, it's a both and. We're going to look at what it really means to love. And then finally, the third element in this, and hopefully you've picked it up. If not, we've got copies available. I want to encourage you to do it today. But then personally, on a daily basis, we're going to read a personal devotion that's going to help us reflect on, the, on what is known to the Bible, what is known to you and me, probably as the one another's. Forty statements in the New Testament we're going to look at that talk to us how to love one another, encourage one another. We're going to look, in other words, we're going to look at 40 statements about how you and I have family responsibilities, how we cannot be the church on our own. To fulfill the mission, we must do it together. And here's the reason we're going to do that, folks, because the number one goal God has for your life and mine is to learn to love. Learn to love Him, learn to love one another, and even learn to love those that we don't find all that lovable. God wants us to learn to love. And so the two goals that we're going to go and chase after in this series are these. The first is we're going to learn to deepen our love and demonstrations of love for one another in this church. We're not just going to learn how to feel greater love, we're going to learn how to demonstrate greater love for one another. But again, we can't stop there because the second goal of this series and this, this campaign is for you and I to learn how to demonstrate that same kind of love for the people in our community, for the people living around this church. We did, a, we did some research when I first came and we discovered more than 12,000 people within a five mile radius of this church if Jesus came today would not be going. 12,000 people claim no relationship with Jesus in a five mile radius of this church, and we're going to learn how to love them in the name of Jesus. And to help us do that, to really maybe whet your appetite for that, to kind of tell you where we're going, what I want to do today is I want to share with you five reasons why we truly need each other. Why this mission that I've been talking about and we looked at beginning six weeks ago cannot be done on our own. We need each other. So let me just jump in with you. If you haven't taken your message note, I want to encourage you to do that. And let's begin with this. The first reason you and I need each other is because we fellowship better together. We fellowship better together. 
And that fact was demonstrated to us almost on the heels of the birth of the church. Because we read about the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, and and just a few verses after we read about the birth of the church, we read this later on in in chapter 2, verse 44. It says this, All the believers continue together in close fellowship. Now I want you to underline that phrase, close fellowship. And then I'm going to ask the question. I'm not looking, it's a rhetorical question. I'm not looking for you to shout out an answer. But then the question I'm going to ask is this, rhetorically, what is fellowship? And I want to offer an answer to my own question because the Bible very clearly tells us what fellowship is. And I don't have time to develop it. But let me just give you in the Greek, the word that Luke used when he wrote, they continue together in close fellowship. The word for fellowship that he used, that we translate fellowship, is the word koinonia. And that word literally means this. Here's the important thing. Here's the takeaway. If you ever never figure out how to spell or pronounce koinonia, don't worry about it. Here's what I want you to remember. Koinonia means this. We are as committed to one another as we are to Jesus himself. That's biblical fellowship, folks. And I say that because many, many times, and I've talked to you about it before, we as Christians you know, reduce fellowship to eating pie and having coffee. In other words, we reduce it to socializing and eating together. And those truly are part of fellowship, but they're the low level of fellowship. When you get into God's Word, and I have time to go into the day, but let me just tell you, there are four levels of fellowship in God's Word. The first one is socializing. The second is studying together. The third is serving together, most of the time sacrificially. And the fourth level that many of us never get to in the church is sacrificing together, suffering together. And I share that, folks, because it's clear from, the, from that definition, that, that word in the Greek language, koinonia, that, folks, it involves a whole lot more than eating, socializing, and studying together from time to time. There's a depth of relationship that's called for. There's a depth of commitment that God wants us to experience, and we have to learn to do that. It doesn't come naturally. That's why Paul told the Corinthians this. He, he wrote to the Corinthians, and he said to them, this he he said you must learn to be considerate of one another cultivating a life in common now i want you to underline the word learn and cultivate because paul's saying fellowship biblical fellowship the kind of fellowship you and i are supposed to experience as christians needs to be learned it doesn't come naturally in fact we have to cultivate it we have to constantly be working at it to live into it because again it runs so much deeper And it's far more significant than simply eating and socializing together. Paul said this to that same group of Corinthian Christians later on in his letter. He said, let love be your highest goal. And Jesus said to his disciples, and we all know this, if we're at all familiar with the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, we know that Jesus looked to his disciples and said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so let me be right up front with you folks. During the 40 days, we are going to learn how to do those two things. We are going to learn what it looks like to truly love one another. We're going to learn together, practice together, what it really means to experience deep biblical fellowship. What it looks like to live into that statement that we are to love one another in the same way that Jesus loves us. So that's the first reason we need each other. We need each other because we fellowship better together. Let me give you the second reason. The second reason is because we worship better together. 
Now, as you write that, let me just ask you a question. How many of you enjoyed singing today? This is a group participation question. How many of you enjoyed singing together today, this morning? Let me see your hands. Yeah. What would it have been like to do that same thing with just two of you? Worse yet, if you've ever sat close to me, what would it have been like to do that with just you and me? It would have been ugly. But there's something wonderful and beautiful that happens. Chris is testifying over here. He says, yeah, I've heard him. Here's the reality, folks. There is something wonderful about worshiping together. And here's what I need you to understand. And I commend every one of you for being here, whether online or in person. Folks, the reality is, if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, if we call ourselves a servant of God, that God says once a week, regardless of what's going on, I want you to stop and I want you to gather with the body. I want you to gather with the people my people, and I want you to worship. Take a look at what Jesus said, or rather, actually, God said in Leviticus. He said, you have six days to do your work, but the seventh day of, the, of each week is holy. In other words, it's set apart, it's set aside for God because it belongs to me. No matter where you live, you must rest and come together for worship. I want you to underline that. You must come together for worship. He didn't say you should. It's a good idea. I suggest, no, God said, you and I must come together for worship. Now, let's just ask the obvious question because, you know, we, we real pastors are real good. It should, ought, must, but we're awful bad sometimes is explaining why we should, ought, must. So let me explain why God says that. And, and, and in fact, given our time, I'm only going to give you one reason. But there are many, many reasons, but let me give you one of my favorite. One of, I think, the most significant reasons God says that. It isn't because God just is on a power trip and just likes telling us what to do. The number one reason for me that I find most compelling for me to worship, and I would suggest one of the most compelling reasons for us, is because when we worship, God, it guarantees, doesn't promise, it guarantees God's presence with us. You say, Jerry, where in the world are you getting that? Well, take a look at the next verse on the outline. Here's what Jesus himself said in Matthew 18, 25. He said, where two or three of you come together in my name, I am there with you. Now let that sink in. Jesus is saying, folks, wherever two or three of his followers, where two or three of us who, who put our faith in Jesus gather, intentionally gather and genuinely worship, he says, I'm there with you in your midst, in the person and the presence of my Holy Spirit. And Jesus didn't say, you know, it doesn't matter, folks, whether it's just an impromptu gathering that we've come together and in that moment we sense God's presence, we seek His presence, we want to honor God in His presence. It doesn't matter if it's a small group. It doesn't matter if it's in a weekly worship service like this where dozens of us gather. Jesus said, when you gather intentionally as a follower of mine in my name, there I am. I'm with you in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his guarantee. Now, in light of that, here's what I want to ask you, folks. How committed are we to weekly worship? Now, you're here, and I applaud you for that. And I do. I sincerely mean that. This is the kind of moments where, you know, pastors flog the sheep that show up. That's silly. So that's not my intention. But I asked this question. I said, how committed are we? Because the research says today that the average evangelical Christian shows up for corporate worship less than 50% of the time, less than half the year. So I'm asking you, how committed are we to corporate worship? Do we show up only when it's convenient? When there's nothing else attractive on our social calendar? When the kids don't have a game? When the weather's not bad? When Jerry's finally going to talk about something I'm interested in? I mean, when and how committed are we 
to corporate worship. See, God says, if we're a follower of Jesus, we need to be committed on a weekly basis, every seven days, to gather with our brothers and sisters and worship. So I'm going to encourage you to make a commitment to yourself, not to me, though I'd encourage you to make it to someone else because we're all better at keeping commitments when we make them public. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I want you to make a commitment to be here every week for the next six weeks. Be a part of these services through the whole series. And there's two reasons I'm going to tell you to do that. First, and really I'd give you three. First, because that's what God calls us to do. Second, because the reality is through COVID, many of us, many of us in the church, fell out of the spiritual habit of gathering for worship. And guess how long it takes to reform a habit or form a habit? Six weeks. And so I want to encourage you, if you've fallen out of the habit or you're just slipping in the habit, I want to encourage you, make a commitment to be here. And here's the third commitment. I want to encourage you, don't come alone. I want you to think of somebody maybe you haven't seen for a while and reach out to them. Maybe someone that you, you have a heart for in your neighborhood and your family. I want you to invite them to come, and then I want you to pray as you prepare, as you come, even in you're in the service, say, God, as we honor you with our corporate worship, will you speak to us, speak to me in some meaningful way? As we as a family focus on you, because you've promised to be there with us. You've promised to show up. So make a commitment, folks. The third reason we need each other is not only because we fellowship better together and worship better together, but we actually grow better together. We grow spiritually better together. I want you to take a look at what Paul wrote. Writing to the Ephesian Christians, he says, under Christ's direction, the whole body is fitted together and each part helps the other parts so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, the big idea there is obvious. We all get it. The, the big idea there that Paul is trying to get across is that God wants us to grow and he wants his church to grow. But can I give you even a bigger idea than that big idea? And I believe it was Paul's point too. God doesn't intend for us or the church to grow alone. He intends for us to grow together in community, in relationship. And here's why. Because on your own and my own folks, we can gain Bible knowledge. We can gain scriptural insight. But we will not grow in the most important stuff, and that's the relational stuff. You see, it's only in community, folks, that we learn things like patience and long-suffering and forgiveness and selflessness. It's only in community that we learn to live out what the Scriptures call the one another's of the body. Which is why I want to suggest to you one of the foundational practices or habits we need to cultivate in our life along with worship if we truly want to spiritually grow, is we've got to cultivate the habit of being a part of a small group of believers. Because we grow better together. We really do. It's what God teaches. It's what God instructs. Now, you've heard me say many, many times in, in my time with you folks that we are as close to God as we choose to be. And I absolutely believe that. And the reason I share that in this context is because what that means practically is this. We cannot blame anyone else for where we're at spiritually, but ourselves. I can't blame my parents, my grandparents. I can't blame my peers. I can't blame my friends. I can't even blame my foes. It's on me. I am where I am spiritually because of my choices. In other words, what I'm saying to us, what we need to understand is we, we all have a certain level of Christian maturity that we have chosen. And if we're not happy with that, then we need to make different choices. 
And one of the different choices we need to make is to put ourselves in community, specifically put ourselves in a group of fellow believers, in a small group. Now, I know some of us, I know our culture's taught us to say, some of us as pastors and ministers have taught you to say, but I don't have time. And I get that, and I know we're busy, busy people. But the reality is, folks, if we say we don't have time for a group, we don't have time for worship, then we need to own the fact that we're simply saying, I'm not making time. In other words, I'm making a different set of choices. And we are free to do that. We are, but we need to understand, just like with every other choice, folks, there are consequences with that choice. There are consequences of that decision. And the consequences of that decision, that I don't have time for worship, I don't have time for a small group, folks, I'm going to tell you what, what the consequences are is slow and limited spiritual growth. You and I, as I said, will never develop in the areas of one another's. We will never develop our character to the degree that God intends to. We will never grow in patience and love and self-sacrifice without making that time commitment to say, I'm going to put myself in a place around other men and women through fellow believers who could help me and encourage me to go. They, we, there's no way around it. Take a look at what Paul writes. He says, take your turn with, with no other person taking over. That way, each of you gets the chance to say something special from God, and you all learn from each other. Now, pop quiz, don't answer out loud, folks. Where in the world in the church can we do that? Can we do it on Sunday morning? Can we do it in a group this size? I'll answer my own question. No, you know why? When you're in a group this size, everyone won't speak. Some of us will fall mute. It's too big, too intimidating, too, it feels too unsafe for us to speak, to seek encouragement, to seek counsel, to offer counsel, so we'll just fall quiet. Not to mention the practical fact that if we actually tried to do it, you would be here all day. And then still, many people wouldn't speak. So I ask the question again, where in the world, folks, can we do that in the church? Because Paul isn't just offering a good suggestion. His calling for the Corinthians is calling for us to practice this, so where can we do it? Only one place I know, the small group. You see, in a gathering of eight, ten maximum, or six, eight, ten people maximum, you and I, all of us will feel safe. All of us will find space. All of us will find time to seek counsel, offer counsel. And in doing that, we will do exactly what Paul said. We will help each other to grow. In the process, we ourselves will grow. So, folks, it's absolutely essential. If you haven't already, you need to sign up for a 40-day small group. You say, I've never been in a small group. Not a better time to join than right now. It's going to go on six weeks. You're not signing up for your life. For six weeks, you say, I'm committing to a group. I'm committing to a group of men and women that I could help them grow, and they could help me grow spiritually. So that's the third reason why we need each other. We grow better together. Let me give you the fourth reason, and that is we serve better together. We serve better together. Now, if you spend any time around God's Word, any time in the Old Testament or New Testament, you know God wants us not only to serve Him, and wants us to serve others. But just as the case is with our fellowship, our worship, and the spiritual growth, folks, there are ways that we can only serve God together in community. And that's exactly what Paul was getting at when he wrote this. He said, do you have fellowship together in the Spirit? There's that word again, and it doesn't mean cake and ice cream and coffee. Do you have fellowship together in the Spirit? Then make me happy by working together with one heart and one purpose. 
Now again, going back to where we've been, folks, in our previous message series, we saw that God uniquely created us and called us to serve His mission, His redemptive mission in the world. But what we're going to see in the 40 days moving forward, starting next week, is that we cannot do it alone. That God intends for us to fulfill that mission and serve that mission in community. And just one biblical example, that's why Jesus sent the disciples out, not as individuals, but as a team, as a body. Because in those moments when we serve together in community, folks, when when we're discouraged, someone else can encourage us. When we feel defeated and hopeless, someone can infuse hope and strength and encouragement. When we feel burned out, and that does happen in ministry, if you've ever been involved in ministry, then someone else can pick us up and help carry the load while we regain our strength. That's why Paul said this. He said, help carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will obey the law of Christ. And if you don't know, and I don't mean that in any pejorative way, folks, the law of Christ is the great commandment. And not only does it tell us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, but it says we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we only do that together. Tell you a, a true story. Catholic bishop by the name of Fulton Sheen. Some of you may be familiar with him. He really came to notoriety in the 50s and the 60s through his TV programs. Recognized as a great preacher and teacher. But he was visiting a leper colony in Africa. And in the process, he was walking through the village, through the colony. And as he walked along, he saw a man lying in the dirt with nothing but a loincloth on, just his whole body covered in open oozing sores. And Fulton Sheen, Bishop Sheen, stopped and he bent down to talk to the man. But as he bent over the man, the chain on which he was holding the crucifix around his neck, the cross, broke. And the cross fell into one of the man's open, oozing sores in his thigh. Fulton Sheen admitted, Bishop Sheen admitted that at first I was repulsed, he said. I didn't know what to do. Then he said, I was overcome with compassion for the man. And so I reached out into the sore, and I took up the cross. I want you to think about that image, folks. It's a powerful image. I reached out into the sore and took up the cross. I cannot imagine a better definition of Christianity than that right there. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do, folks. He calls you and me as his followers to reach out into the oozing sores of society, into the oozing sores of people's lives, and take up the cross. Meaning we come alongside them. Those who are hurting and helpless and hopeless, and we bring help and hope and healing. And folks, we need to be doing that on a personal level. And if we're not, we need to understand, and I don't mean this in any kind of combative way, but if we're not doing that on a personal level, then we need to know our Christianity is suspect. Because that's what Jesus modeled for us. And that's what Jesus called us to do. So let me ask you, and again, in no combative way, but just let me ask you folks, have you ever done anything like that for anyone? Have you ever helped the poor? And I don't mean give a few dollars or maybe even a large chunk of change in an offering. I'm asking, have you ever personally befriended the poor? Have you ever got involved personally in their lives that you introduce them as a friend, that you bring them into the friendship circle? They become part of your life. 
Have you ever visited someone in prison or jail? Have you ever walked alongside an addict or a person dying and in that walk and in that relationship you've embodied the hope and the love and the acceptance of Jesus? Have you ever spent time on the streets with the homeless to understand what they're facing, what they're dealing with? Folks, if not, I want to say to you, it's time for it to change. Because that's what it looks like to reach in the sore and take up the cross. It's not just about loving one another in the church. It's also about loving others in the community that live around the church. And so, folks, the fourth reason we need each other is because we serve better together. And that leads to the final reason why we need each other, and that's because we reach out better together. We reach out better together. Someone has said snowflakes are frail, but if enough of them stick together, they can stop a freight train. And the same thing's true for you and me. On our own, if we're honest, we can't do a whole lot for Jesus, not in kind of any community-changing, world-changing way, but together, folks, we can make a major impact for Jesus. We can make a huge impact for Jesus. And Paul commanded the Philippian Christians for doing that very thing when he wrote this. He said, I know that you are working together and struggling side by side. For what reason? To get others to believe the good news. So the question we need to ask ourselves, how do we do that? How do we come together and reach our community for Jesus? And again, we're going to spend time looking at this through the 40 days beginning next week. But let me just give you two, very quickly, two ways that you and I could do that. And the first way we can do that is by using our group to reach people for Jesus. Mark writes this. Those of you familiar with his gospel, I gave you just one statement. Mark writes this. He said, four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man <clears throat> on a mat to Jesus. If you know the story, familiar with the story, then you know the story is about a man who was paralyzed and needed to come to Jesus for healing. But obviously he couldn't get there on his own. So four men, we don't know if they're friends, community members, we don't know who they were, what relationship they had, and what we know is they saw his need and four of them picked him up, carried him to Jesus, and when they encountered obstacles, not only a crowd inside the house and outside the house, they, they, they found a solution and they got up on a roof and they dug a hole and they lowered him, that man, on a mat, before Jesus. Now here's the reason I share that. Go back to the statistics I shared with you. Within a five mile radius of this church, folks, there are thousands of men and women, boys and girls, who are paralyzed. I'm not saying physically. I'm saying they're paralyzed with fear and guilt and regret and shame and loneliness and depression and stress, and folks, they need to get to Jesus. They need to get to Jesus to be healed. But they can't do it on their own. The truth is, the truth is they need a friend, or better yet, a group of friends to bring them to Jesus. Because here is the reality. For most of those folks, the idea of walking in here by themselves is terrifying. It terrifies them, the idea of going to church by themselves. But you know what doesn't terrify them? 
an invitation for a friend or acquaintance to come over to the house for a cookout or a game night and to meet some other friends. That's not terrifying for them. And in time, after they begin to accept the messenger, you know what, again, eventually they will accept the message. I've seen it over and over and over again. There are people in this community who need us, who are paralyzed with hurt, disappointment, disillusionment, who need us, the body of Christ, together in a community and in our small groups to bring them, to carry them to Jesus. So that's the first way, to use our groups. Here's the second way. And Scott did a wonderful job of setting this up, and that is the second way we reach our communities by praying for our community and our neighbors. I want you to go back to the video. How many of you, and, and let's see a show of hands, how many of you believe our world, our nation, our community needs spiritual awakening, needs spiritual revival? Absolutely. And folks, that's why for the next six weeks we're going to be praying 2 Thessalonians 3.1, which says this, pray that the Master's words would simply take off and race through the country to a groundswell of response. Now let's be honest. I mean, really honest. How great would that be to see that happen? How thrilled would we be to see that happen? Folks, here's the thing. Jesus wants it to happen. But for it to happen, we as his body, we as the church must learn to fellowship together and worship together and serve together and, and, and ultimately reach out together. Because when you and I are fully living into those five purposes of the church, then it can. And I believe it will happen. And I say that for this reason, folks. I believe that's why you're here today. I believe that's why you're here because God wants to use you. He wants to use us. He wants to use me to make that happen. Our nation and our community do need a fresh start. They do need a new direction. But there is only one group that Jesus wants to entrust with that message and that responsibility. And that group is the church. You and me. And the reason why, folks, is because when believers begin to fellowship together and worship together and grow together and serve together and reach out together, we are and will be an unstoppable force. Folks, that is not hype. That is Scripture. For Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand before it. Folks, we are here today because God wants to use us to bring renewal, not only to our life, not only our church, but I think to our community and to our world. I want you to take a look at the last verse on your outline. I'm out of time. Paul wrote this. This is God's purpose. When the time is right, he will gather us all together from wherever we are on heaven or in heaven or on earth to be with him in Christ forever. Now, let me state the obvious if you know God's word, folks. That's how this is all going to end. That's the culmination of life here on earth. But until that time, until that day, God wants you and me to be doing two things, investing our lives in doing two very important things. The first is personally preparing and practicing for that day. The second, equally important and just important, is for you and I to be busy helping others prepare and practice for that day. Which simply means this, folks. It's time for the church 
to start acting like the church. So I'm going to encourage you together, corporately, individually, let's go all in on this campaign. Make a commitment to being here. Make a commitment to being a part of a small group. Make a commitment. Stop by the table and buy one of the books that for some, and I'd praise God for it. We run out, we'll get some in, we'll have some for you for next Sunday, ready to go. But folks, go all in on this so that God can use us. He can use you to accomplish what He wants to do in our church, in our community, and in our world. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the incredible privilege you've given us to be part of the church and to be used by you to literally, to your glory, and to people's help and thrill to transform this world. And now I want to invite you to pray. Would you just say, God, and I've prayed this prayer many times this week, God, forgive me. Forgive me for the times that I didn't think I need other people to help me on my Christian journey. I want to be a part of what you want to do in this church and in this community and in this world. I want to experience real community and real spiritual growth. I'm tired of superficial Christianity and superficial relationships. I want to learn what it looks like and it feels like to really love and be loved in a deep, deep way. Would you say to him, God, thank you for bringing me to a place where I can belong and I can worship and I can grow and I can serve and I can reach out to others. I no longer want to be a passive follower. And so as I join a group and I show up on Sunday morning, Father, and I read these devotions, meet with me, meet with us, meet with my small group and use me to help my brothers and sisters grow and then use them to help me grow. As together, we're going to lean into learning what it really looks like to be the church. Would you say, Father, bless our church family and bless our community through us as we walk through these 40 days in community beginning next week. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Well, we started off the morning with the song that we ask God to do what he want, would want to do today. And I hope that was your prayer as well. And as we've kicked off this series starting next week with that uh, first group, you know, I, I, I talked about uh, in our welcome, the Lone Ranger. And so my question is, are you going to be a Lone Ranger Christian or will you make one of those commitments today? On the back of your uh, connection card there this morning, you'll see a spot there for the 40 days of community. And so I'm going to challenge you today to make one or more of those commitments that Jerry talked about earlier in the sermon th this morning. 
um, where you would commit to attending all six of the services that we'll have starting next week. And then joining a 40-day small group, there's the table out in the lobby. As you exit this morning, you can see Pastor Chris. He can answer probably questions there for you. You can sign up for a group. You can buy that book. Um, but and also something very simple that you can do is to pray every day as we do that study. Um, so you could check that box as well. And then you can invite a friend to attend the service with you. I think we're going to have some great things over these next six weeks that we're going to be talking about as we break down each of these things we've talked about this morning in this overview. So that's my challenge for us today. You don't have to make that commitment right now if you don't want to, but it's always better if we put that on the card because we get together as a staff. We pray along with you guys. When you make those commitments, we pray along with you that God will strengthen you and give you his strength to be able to carry out those commitments that you're making to him. Thank you so much for being here this morning, worshiping together with us, and I hope to see you guys next week, and I'll see you then. Thanks.